Amen. Amen. Well, if I'm honest with you, uh, these, this sermon and even the last sermon, is kind of diff- they're kind of difficult sermons to preach just with everything going on. Last week, we talked about joy. It doesn't always seem like as you look around the world that there's a lot of joy going on. Even as I talk to people, they don't seem to be experiencing a, a lot of joy and so even a sermon like last week can kind of just almost make you feel guilty if you're not uh, uh, just uh, uh, exploding with joy, right? And this week we're talking about peace. We're talking about peace in a time where I believe that uh, there's, there's not a lot of peace uh, inside of ourselves. We're not feeling a lot of it. We're probably not experiencing a lot of it and, and tensions are high and it just like if you if anxiety is high and if you were going to ask somebody if they are at peace I think a lot of people would just say they're, they're generally not I'm I'm generally a pretty even keel and, and peaceful person and I've even struggled over the past kind of several weeks and months just to kind of remain peaceful and stay at that place of peace they've even had experiences with people that I know fairly well and love fairly well where I've, I've really struggled with. I'll just share one with you. Somebody came in uh, that I was already just kind of struggling, I felt like potentially to kind of get along with, and they just said something that made me so mad that I wanted to, just, I wanted to punch them. Right? I, I, I really did. I really did. Angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, and the angel was kind of telling me, Josh, blessed are the peacemakers. The other one was telling me, peace through strength, right? I mean, it, it was really struggling. It was worse. It was a girl. <laughs> and, like, I have, like, a moral code, if you don't know. Like, there's thou shall not kill and thou shall not harm a girl, like, or a, a woman. And just to make it clear, was it my wife? <laughs> my wife is safe. It wasn't my daughter. And I'm getting through it. I, yeah, your pastor is going to be okay. <laughs> but I assume that if I am having these kind of struggles in my life, that you are too. You, you are. Uh, we are having these types of struggles. And, and as we approach Chris, Christmas, there's this, uh, there's this promise, right, that, that we will experience peace. Not just that we will experience peace, but that peace has come. And if you've been kind of with us, we've been really, uh, we've been in Luke a lot where the angels show up to the shepherds. And one of the promises that the angels make is actually that that peace has come to earth. And so that's where we're going to begin. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. I'm going to read verse 14 to you. The angels have announced that a child has been born and has asked these shepherds to go see the child that has been born in the barn and wrapped and a swaddling cloth, cloth, and that is the, the, the king of the world, the, the son of David, that he is the Messiah. And after they announced this, they began to praise God, and they continue to make a statement uh, about God and whom they are praising here and what he is bringing to earth. And here's what they are singing. Here's what they are saying. They are saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those in whom he is well pleased. And so the angels make this declaration of peace. Now, the New Testament, where this is written, it's written in Greek. And so the, the Greek word for this is irene, but, 
But as, as these are Greek speakers, these are Hebrew people. And so this idea of peace isn't actually rooted in the idea of uh, the, the Greek word, which means rest or tranquility, but really the Hebrew word for peace that we see all throughout the Old Testament. And that word is shalom. The word for peace is shalom. Uh, shalom is kind of hard to describe because we've never really experienced it. But as we look at the Bible, as the Bible des describes this word, word shalom, and as it uses the word shalom, it uses it in a way where it, it, it talks about the idea of basically like a wholeness, completeness, a soundness, safety, prosperity. And then uh, not only that, but it carries with it this implication that shalom, as it comes, as you have it, that there's going to be a permanence to it. And so the Bible looks forward to a time where there's completeness, where there's wholeness, where there's soundness, where there's health, where there's prosperity that we experience and don't just experience personally, but we uh, maybe just in, a, in, a, in like just I experience it, but that we relationally experience it. And so the Bible uses uh, shalom in ways where it talks about people getting along, <laughs> like really getting along. It, it talks about nations getting along and dwelling together and not being at war. It, it talks about God being at peace with men. That's how that word is used. And so uh, shalom, peace, is this idea that there's going to be kind of harmony. You're going to be at, at peace with yourself. You're going to be at peace with others. You're going to be at peace with God. Nations are going to be at peace. And this peace in the Bible, it always comes from a particular place. Or should I say a particular person? It always comes from God. And the angels are showing up to the shepherds and they are announcing that peace has come through God to earth. But then it qualifies who this peace is coming to here in this moment. And it says, among those in whom he is well pleased. And so if you're like me, right, and you're searching for peace, you're trying to uh, 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 grasp a hold of the peace that God wants to give us, that Christ has brought, you have to answer that question is, who is God pleased with? That's a question that we should all struggle with and try to seek the answer to. And I'm going to give you some statements here that I, I think are just going to kind of get you thinking a little bit here that are going to kind of lead into some of the application points that I want to make for you as you pursue peace. And it's this. This is the first one here. Those who please God are those who are most pleased by God. Those who please God are those who are most pleased by God. Those who are pleased with God are those who are most pleased by God. Now, what does that mean? Those who are pleased by being in the presence of God are those who are most pleased with God. And if you're wanting to find peace, right, if this is true, and you are wanting to achieve peace, right, those at peace, this next thing I want to show you, those at peace find pleasure in God. What I don't mean by this is this. What I don't mean, because you're thinking, well, God, he creates our circumstances. Like he's kind of over everything. God is sovereign. What I don't mean by this is that you are pleased with your current circumstances and maybe even the way that God has ordered everything at this time. 
In fact, it's okay to be dissatisfied with the way things are. It's okay sometimes to be dissatisfied. It's actually not okay sometimes to be dissatisfied. It's okay to be dissatisfied with falsehoods. It's okay to be dissatisfied with injustice. It's okay to be dissatisfied with immorality. It's okay to be dissatisfied with death. It's okay to be dissatisfied with brokenness. It's okay to be dissatisfied even with the lack of peace in your own life. And in the scriptures, we're actually encouraged to change these things, like to work to bring about peace and to work to change the areas of our lives where we don't have peace or where we don't see it in the world. Uh, when Jesus came, uh, he's, he's not announcing that peace is going to be the absence of struggle right now. In fact, he actually tells us that our troubles are going to continue. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he's teaching his followers and he has this to tell his followers. He says in John 6, 33, he says, I said these things, these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so what Jesus tells us is that we will have tribulation, that there are going to, th- there are going to be things in your life that disrupt the peace. But then he goes on to say, and he says, take heart. In other words, right, don't give up. <laughs> if you're not at peace, don't give up because I have overcome the world. Now, most commentators and, and, and people who are writing around this statement about Jesus, they make this comment that Jesus is making a declaration that he is triumphing over tribulation here. And so this is a significant statement here for Jesus to make about himself Because he is about to face tribulation before he says these words. Jesus is telling these men who are in front of him at this time that I have overcome the world, yet do you know what's about to happen to Jesus? The world is about to kill him. Jesus is speaking these words to his disciple right before he is going to go to the cross and he's going to be crucified by the rulers of the world and then the masses are going to cheer it on. In real time, the cross is the world believing that they have triumphed over Jesus through the tribulation that they have placed upon him. So what does it mean for Jesus to triumph over tribulation? The first thing that all followers of Jesus need to see and all believers of Jesus need to see is that the cross here is showing us that tribulation has a cause. Our problems have a cause. And you can't stop tribulation. You can't be at peace without knowing the cause. Here's the cause. People are the cause. Right? People just like you and I are the cause. If you don't want to have, if you want to know why you don't have peace, it's because the world is full of people like us, like me. In 1910, um, 1910, uh, the Times in Britain was they were trying to write this article, and the theme of the article was basically, what is wrong with the world? That was going to be the title of the article. And so what they did is they sent out uh, that question, what is wrong with the world, to all of these kind of 
great thinkers of the time. Because they were still kind of struggling with that question because what they were in is the progressive era when a lot of inventions started to take place. The Enlightenment was really kind of full steam. And we believe that if, if we just kind of tweak this and this, like the world, that we were going to be at peace and everything was going to be good. And we're, we're, it's just like, like all we had to do is just kind of engineer everything correctly and we're going to get this right. So they're trying to get these thinkers together to say, hey, what, are we, what do we still need to do to figure all of this out. Like what is still wrong? Things still aren't right. And we're moving to a place where we want to make things right. And one of the people that they sent this question to was uh, an, an apologist and Christian thinker named G.K. Chesterton. And G.K. Chesterton responded to this question, what is wrong with the world with this answer? He said, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. The world never really understood this. So two world wars follow. And we discovered that there's still something wrong. Even today we feel this, right? We understand this. We realize that we have not reached shalom. The Bible teaches us that we often are the, we are the reason that we don't experience peace. We have a sin nature that keeps us from experiencing peace, and that nature needs to be conquered, and not by people, right? The solution is not to harm other people, not to hurt other people, but the solution is Christ. If we want peace, we look to the cross. Jesus died for our sins so that we would put sin to death. He died so that we would know we are forgiven. He died so that we would know we are loved. Christ on the cross is representation of tribulation and God's solution to it. The empty cross is the reason that we know that God has triumphed. The empty cross teaches us that love wins. The empty cross teaches us that death is defeated. Jesus triumphed over evil and tribulation by rising from the grave. The resurrection is God's victory over death and assurance that he has provided a way for us to be present with God now and forever. And so if we are the cause of tribulation, Christ is the cure. This is why Jesus says this. He says, that peace is in me, that in me you may have peace. If we look to the world, if we look to ourselves, if we look to others, We will not have peace. Jesus doesn't say, go look somewhere else for peace. Go find it somewhere. He actually says, when Jesus talks about the world, he is is talking about us. He he, he, he is talking about everything around us. And so Jesus says, you're going to find it in me here. Peace is found when we fellowship with Christ as we live in a world full of of suffering and hardships. Paul, he knew this. Paul uh, had a really rough life, especially after he decided to follow Jesus. Uh, He didn't find the world any more forgiving after he decided to follow Jesus. If anything, he found it a little more difficult because at, at that time, right, it was not popular to be a Christ follower and that Christians 
were persecuted. Paul was once a persecutor of Christians. And so Paul is one of those people who knows what he's talking about when he talks about having peace in the midst of tribulation, because when he writes so many of his letters, he's actually writing them from a place of tribulation, from a place of suffering. In the book of Philippians, he is writing to the Philippian church, and he is writing uh, as he's kind of gotten older, and he realizes that he's likely going to die in prison. And what he's trying to tell them is that you uh, may be struggling in your church, you may be struggling in your circumstances, you may be struggling personally, you may be struggling relationally, but it doesn't mean that you still can't have God's peace. But Paul taught that God's peace is rooted in God's presence, not in your circumstances here. And so this is Paul writing to the church, and he's giving them some, some advice about how to achieve peace. And here's what he says here. He's kind of continuing in this letter here, and he begins with this idea as he gets to achieving peace, and he begins with the Lord is at hand. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting statement there, and that's a statement you almost need to pause at and try to figure out what is Paul talking about. And this is something that commentators pause at, trying to figure out what is Paul talking about. When he talks about the Lord is at hand, there, there's basically three things that Paul can mean here. The first is that Jesus might be coming back soon. Is that you guys, you, you, may, you may feel like the world is pressing in on you, but don't worry, Christ is coming. He, he, he's coming to bring shalom. He's coming to right the wrongs in your life. He, 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 he's coming and he has victory over death. He has victory over depression. He's coming. It's potential. Another thing that Paul may be saying here when he's saying the Lord is at hand, he actually might be saying instead, that God's presence is near. That although you're suffering, that although you're going through tri tribulation, uh, uh, although things aren't right in your life, like God is near you. He's with you. Now, it's, it's kind of unclear. So there's a, a third option. Is that he's intentionally vague. Because he wants both to be true in our lives. He wants both of those things to be on our mind at the same time. And then he goes on to say, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, I don't know about you, but if you came into my office and you know you just you were anxious about something, I just told you not to be anxious about something, it would probably sound kind of cold, right? Or insensitive. If you have a friend come over to your house and you just told them, right, not to be anxious. It would probably sound to be insensitive. They have this absence of peace in their lives. And you're just going to so Paul continues here, right? He's going, to give us, he's going to give us some things that we need to practice to apply this, to take what this is anxiety is, which is lack of peace, and try to get to a place of peace. He says, but in everything... By prayer, and by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so Paul tells them that there is something that they need to do and that they can have the peace of God. And I, I want to I, I emphasize one part of this here, and it's the idea of prayer. It's the idea of prayer. If we want peace... 
We have to pray. You've got to pray. Uh, I gave you kind of that statement earlier about those who God are pleased with find pleasure in God. Well, your prayer shows your pleasure with God as you spend time in his presence. Christmas is about God coming to be with us. It's Jesus coming to earth to show that God wants to be present with you. Uh, Prayer is about spending time with God. It's about spending time with God. That's really maybe the primary way you need to think about prayer is spending time with God. Most of us, I think when we think about prayer, we think about supplication, which supplication is good. We should, as we go to God in prayer, make sure that supplication is part of it. We should pray for God to answer certain prayers, and we should ask for things. But so much of our prayer life is really just supplication. It's just going to God and kind of treating him like a cosmic Santa Claus. We only go to God in prayer when we need something. God, this is not going right in my person. Will you heal my mind? Will you heal this relationship? And you're not at peace by the time that takes place because you haven't spent any time with God to have any confidence with God, in God to begin with. And you don't really know him and you haven't enjoyed his presence in the past. And so it's a struggle. Like prayer becomes a real struggle because you haven't cultivated a relationship with God. But prayer is so much of prayer is about cultivating that relationship with God and getting to know God. Do you realize that when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he actually teaches us how to pray by using the word Father. Jesus, if you read through the Bible, that's the first time you see that. You see allusions to God being a father in the Old Testament and like Israel being a son, God's people being his son. You see, you see the kind of, the language of adoption. But Jesus shows up and he says, when you pray, you're supposed to, Father, Father. There's there's a personal aspect of prayer that Jesus is introducing and he wants you to enter into. My dad is a, uh, a pretty habitual person. So he does pretty much the same thing every day or the, the same things every day and one of the things that he did growing up is that uh, after he got home from work, he would always go take the dogs for a walk, usually, usually on a hike. And as I got into high school and uh, um, was playing sports, you get kind of get home uh, a little later. And often he would come home and then he would kind of wait for all of us kids to get home before he would go on his hike. And one of the things my dad almost always did before he left is he would ask me this question. He would go, Josh, do you want to go with me? I often went with him. I said, yeah, dad, I'll go with you. And so we would go on these hikes and most of the time, because my dad is pretty habitual, we'd go to the same place every time, walk the same trail, talk about a lot of the same things. 
And as I look back on those talks, there's a time where I got to know him and he got to know me. We learned a lot about each other. Well, recently I was on the phone with somebody who was struggling because uh, they were struggling with their relationship with their father. They said, you know, my dad has been a good dad. He's been around. I know he's always been there for me, but I don't really know my dad. I don't know anything about him. I mean, you know, I've been around him, I feel, but like, what am I to do? What's going on? He was really frustrated, and eventually he just asked me this question. He goes, do you know your dad? Like, he said, no, I mean, do you like, like really know him? Like, do you know who he is? And I thought about that for a second. And I said, yeah, I, I do know my dad. And my dad knows me. Like, I think my dad knows who, who I am, too. And that relationship. Knowing God through prayer can bring a great amount of peace in your life. You're going to have to spend some time with him, though. The second important practice that Paul gives us here as he goes to the book of Philippians and he's writing to the Christian church there who are looking for peace is praise. Is praise. Praise is expressing your pleasure with God. This is what the angels are doing. The angels are expressing their praise with God as they get ready to, to leave the shepherds here. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, that's easy. They're angels. That's what they were created to do. They have nothing to, to worry about. That's the, the purpose that they were created to do. By the way, you were created for that purpose too, but that's a different sermon. Here in the, Philippian, in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to the church and he continues and this is what he says about praise he says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's anything excellent if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you so many of us Right? Allow ne- negativity to destroy our lives. And it will. Right? Negativity can destroy and wreck this time of year. We can find ourselves only focusing on what is wrong with us or wrong with everything else. Uh, people have, most people have like this inner critic inside of themselves. And sometimes it ramps up during Christmas, to be honest. You look at your family, and then you look at everybody else's family, and you say, all I see is brokenness in mine. Maybe Christmas is a time of year where your poverty is highlighted. Christmas comes towards the end of the year, so you look back on the year, and you realize, like, I didn't reach those goals that I had set at the beginning of the year. It's a year where we don't, it's a time of the year where sometimes we don't feel a lot of joy and yet we see people who are happy 
and joyful and we struggle. Paul here writes to the church, though, and he says, you need to take all of those negative thoughts captive and you need to find pleasure in God. That's what he says. You have to redirect your thoughts towards anything worthy of praise. And for some of you, this may mean that you have to, you have to dig down deep and you have to find things that God has done for you and God is doing for you in spite of your circumstances, in spite of the tribulation, in spite of the trouble. You have to redirect your thoughts from what you don't have to what you do have. You have to redirect your thoughts from what you are not able to do and from what you weren't able to accomplish to what you were able to do and what God was able to accomplish through you over the past year and in your, from the evil that has been done to you and maybe even by you to the good people have done for you and what God is doing in you. Paul says those are the things that we need to think about if we are going to have peace. So we need to praise God for it. And for some, this is going to be really hard. The world is causing a lot of tribulation in your life right now. So as we focus in on Christmas, you've got to practice prayer and praise. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. God is present and wants you to spend time with him. And praise God because he overcomes tribulation. Now let me root us in the Advent before we conclude. Advent means Christ. It means coming. And it's supposed to remind us that Christ is coming. And we need to root our peace in the coming of Jesus. I kind of like when Paul says that the Lord is near, that we're left to be unsure about what he means. Is he trying to tell the church, like, Jesus is coming really soon? And so you need to be thinking, thinking about Jesus coming, or is he, he talking about, like he's, the, the spirit of Christ is present. Christ is with you right now, so don't be anxious about anything. How, how should we view this? I, I do think that we should view it as both of these things being true. I think that's how we experience the peace of Christ. We know that Christ is with us. We know that he is here in this room. We know that he is in you. He is in me. We can have peace knowing that. We also should know that Christ is coming. That Christ is coming to bring perfect peace. That shalom is on the way. That we can pray that peace be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because someday it will be on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus returns. Advent, or Christmas, is for people who pleasure in the presence of God and are reminded of where their peace comes from and is coming from. Christmas reminds us that perfect peace 
Shalom is coming. And Christmas is also for those who are longing and looking for peace. Those who aren't experiencing it. But you need to know where it's found. It's found in Jesus. It's found in a person. The Prince of Peace. And if you don't receive that person, will you receive Christ? I hope you will. And may the peace of Christ be with you and in you. Let us pray. Father, we are all longing and looking for peace. Remind us that it is not found in us or in the world, but that it is found in Christ. You tell us that in this world we will have tribulation, but you have overcome the world. So let us not be overcome by our troubles, but instead with the peace of your presence. I pray that we may all, and it's in Christ's name, amen. Before we end our time together, I'll leave you with a very simple benediction. I want to remind you that we are having our Christmas Eve service. I want to invite you to 7 and 7.30. You're welcome to come and be a part of that and take communion. I also want to let you know that uh, it'll be made available on our YouTube channel. And to share that. Share that with your family. View it with your family. And uh, share it online. Share it on your social media um, so that other people can spend time with the Lord on Christmas Eve uh, and prepare their hearts and their minds um, and celebrate this time of year the way it should be celebrated. So I encourage you to do that and to be a part of that uh, this coming week. I want you to know that I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. It's... Uh, It's been a difficult year. Right? This is my last Sunday here with you all before we go to the family, so I won't see you until next year. Um, it's been a difficult year. Yeah, I, I believe what we've talked about during this Christmas season. Right? I believe that we strongly do need Christ during these moments during this year, that this has been a time where we can kind of reorient ourselves and refocus ourselves on what the world needs most and what we need most. And that's Jesus Christ, who does bring us hope and give us, us hope, right? Who really does teach us how to love. Who really does, in spite of our circumstances, give us joy. And who I believe, right, helps us to find and experience peace. 
And I hope as you celebrate Christmas or Christmas Eve, however you celebrate it, you really do celebrate it in Christ. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I love you. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen.